Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Fred Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer, joined today by Sarah Gon. Let's get into the news of today. And the first story we're going to talk about is the rather dramatic taking hostage of something like 450 miners underground, allegedly by people affiliated with the AMCU union. So uh, the latest of it, this, this has been ongoing for a while, and it was very difficult to kind of establish the facts of this case at first, because uh, these miners have been underground since at least Monday. And AMCU initially said that uh, they were simply staging a sit-in protest because the mines, uh, uh, the mining company had refused to recognize AMCU as one of the unions representing the workers and instead continued to only represent the National Union of Mine Workers, which is uh, the, the, the rival union to AMCU at the mine. Well, um, uh, the the my, uh, National Union of Mine Workers and the and the mine management went to uh, the uh, the court and got an interdict saying that this was a hostage situation that this was not in fact the case this was not some kind of protest but in fact allegedly um, these people were being held underground by a group of men armed with what are being traditional weapons. Well, today around two hundred miners have returned to the surface apparently after they overpowered the miners that were keeping them hostage against their will. The uh, management of the gold mining company uh, said is they are extremely concerned about the health and well-being of all those underground and that negotiations are still underway with the Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, AMCU. Um, the police say they are treating this as a hostage situation. The National Union of Mine Workers says uh, the figure of those who've returned um, is they reckon actually much fewer at 113, saying the situation is still extremely dangerous. We can confirm that about 113 miners have returned to the service surface after overpowering those who held them hostage. More than 400 are still underground, and the situation has not yet been resolved. Um, AMCU continues to insist, as far as I understand, that this is a protest. Sara, not good. Um, we've seen a lot of violence over the last decade between NUM and uh, AMCU uh, at various union, at various mines across the country, um, but this seems a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more serious. Uh, I don't know what what do you make of this. Okay, well, you, you see, uh, mine, National Union of Mine Workers is a Kasatu affiliate, um, and it's tended to be dominant in the, on the on on the platinum belt and the gold mines. But in the last few years, the independent AMCU and uh, Joseph Mutunjwa, who's their leader, is a was expelled from them. Um, has provided an alternative, and as I suppose one expects in that area, it's a it's a it's an aggressive alternative. And there was a lot of there's been a lot of violence. There's been a lot of tension. I mean, it was the competition between the two that kicked off the Marikana massacre. Um, and but what's happened is in recent years they've kind of had a two ring where they actually kind of work together, which has and it probably had a lot to do with the fact that Amku really, really ended up on the wrong side after it took on Sabanya in the platinum and, platinum and then gold, stri gold strikes. Um, so AMCU lost face and, and lost membership. So since then, they've kind of been working together to negotiate with management, and there has been, there have been no strikes. I mean, they've reached agreements, they've signed them. But I think the what, for whatever reason, I can't quite establish it, AMCU is now starting to sign up NUN people as members. They say they have 1,700 people signed up out of an 1,800 people workforce, which, if true, does make them now the major, assume the majority union. 
Um, and they said that management is, is refusing to recognise them and it's all management's fault. Um, I, we don't know the truth. We don't know, begin to know what the actual facts are. But what we do know is that there are probably, I think, actually over, over 500 mine workers down there. A few have now got out. Um, the reports of the pangas, et cetera, are, are, have been repeated. And, um, I mean, can you imagine you down in the mine, you've got this going on. Um, maybe, I, I mean, and I do mean this seriously, I mean, maybe the Hamas tactic of two weeks ago is sort of creating a sort of, you know, hostage, hostage situation as means to further industrial relations in South Africa. Um, it's a, it, it is a ghastly situation. And the, the problem for management is that in the long run, whatever happens, there are going to be people who, who stood in for AMCU who have to be arrested and charged and convicted. So uh, I saw some reporting that suggested that some of these miners hadn't eaten since the hostage situation began on Monday. Mm. Um, apparently, I think food has been sent down to them by, by various people. Uh, this... This, a lot of this stems from the fact that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but I believe that the kind of national legislation was set up in a way by the ANC government to sort of privilege the the, the largest union, the majority mm. union um, in most cases. And that meant that uh, as long as you had sort of the biggest chunk of the pie, you were, had an outsized influence as a union. And this was extremely beneficial to Kasato unions when they were kind of so dominant. Um, but as Kasato has split apart and other unions have risen up to kind of compete with them, uh, this has caused an enormous amount of tension over who gets the top spot. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems that, you know, we, this is yet another aspect in which our labor laws require some significant overhaul, I think, is to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to uh, you know, not privilege the largest union so much. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, at the same time as this is going on, Sabanyo Stillwater says that it is uh, having to co consider closing a number of shafts which are now unprofitable. Uh, they are looking to retrench something like 4,000 workers. They say they're going to place what workers they can at other, other mines, um, but they just won't be able to employ everyone. Uh, the CEO, Neil Froneman, said uh, job cuts in platinum mining are unavoidable as prices continue to fall, requiring significant restructuring of the se sector. He said, we can't run unprofitable shafts and our cost structure is probably the lowest in the industry. If we have loss-making shafts, of which we have a few, they will have to be closed. And I say this with all the sensitivities on potential job losses. So they say they're going to enter into discussions with organized labor and other affected non-unionized employees through their representatives regarding possible restructuring of four shafts at various places around the country. Um, this is, you know, we've seen our mining industry decimated by so many things. There's been load shedding, which has hit it hard. There's been all the labor violence and unrest. There's been the difficult labor laws. And now, you know, when you have any kind of fluctuation uh, and of course, logistic challenges, right? We can't get the minerals out to the ports. Um, and now anytime that there's any kind of uh, uh, price fluctuation downwards, mines end up closing and lots of people mm -hmm. lose their jobs. Well, the knock-on effect, obviously, on the number of people supported by the people who have the jobs is very scary. And, of course, the the sort of small industry that forms around these communities uh, are going to suffer. And it's going to happen more and more because for all the reasons you've given. Um, and the irony of it is that two years ago, the mining industry's um, success in because of the price of platinum, et cetera, um, was what got this country out of some financial trouble. 
that's gone. And the ANC is not the sort of government that would have foreseen that those those sort of windfalls don't happen very often and they can reverse and we've got, it's like a perfect storm for this for the mining industry now that's exactly right um let us move on to our next story and this is a survey that you know i think is often a little bit controversial every year it comes out for various reasons but it's it's looking at the world's uh, happiness by country um, and it's done by Gallup, the Gallup World Poll. And it's an attempt to kind of work out um, what, which countries in the world are the happiest. Uh, they use a number of things. They say uh, they, they look at um, uh, quality of life in various aspects, as well as people's reported negative and positive emotions. Uh, positive emotions are things like laughter, enjoyment, and interest, and negative emotions are worry, sadness, and anger. And then they put every country in the world ranked according to these. So you've got uh, the top 10 are Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Israel, Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, Luxembourg, New Zealand, United States is at 15, the UK at 19. And you have to go to the 85th position to find South Africa. Now, there's, what, 200 and something countries in the world. Um, I can't remember exactly how many there are on this survey, but at least over 180. So, Sarah... Um, not the worst result for us, but I think that does also say something about where we are as a country. I think that's pretty, that doesn't sound like an outrageous thing to me to say that we're the 85th most ha happiest country in the world. The interesting one here is that uh, Israel is quite high up, you know, kind of amongst all of the Nordic countries, which are generally score highest in these uh, polls. Um, I think it's very simple. I think, you know, according to the happiness index is uh, good PR, but I, I think they mean generally satisfaction and contentment. I think we might, you know, can't really sort of overstate it to happiness. Um, but if you think about it, the top 10 countries are all very stable, wealthy, comfortable, largely homogenous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the link. And obviously when you get to us, we're down at the, you know, we've got everything wrong. I mean, we, we, we're happy compared to what we could be. <laughs> I mean, we could be so much happier, but anyway. But the Israel is the interesting thing, and I'll tell you why. Because, look, I'm, I'm sure after the 7th of October they're not so happy. But the the reasons that I understand, and this makes sense, is that the Israelis are well off, com comparatively speaking. I mean, not completely, but they, 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 the country's done very well. The property market is booming, and, and in fact, it's, it's pricing people out of, the, out of the market. You also have those very close religious and familial ties so there's a very lot of there's a lot of very both in the arab and the, and the jewish community there's a lot of um support there's a lot of celebration there are loads of jewish holidays and, and and they mean something so people sort of coalesce around those things so notwithstanding you know the sort of big demonstrations pro-government versus anti-government over the supreme court um, for most of this year within the society itself it is a very Secure, they know that at the end of the day, pardon, pardon the expression, they have each other's backs, and I think that that range of comp, that range of factors is what makes Israel at four. It's put Israel at four rather. Yes, yes. Um, sorry, I misspoke. I thought there were about 180 countries in the survey. It's actually 137. The bottom three are Mozambique, the DRC, and Liberia. And I don't think that's particularly interesting. Uh, okay, that is all the time we have for today. I hope that you found this show 
interesting. Um, and uh, that's a wrap. <laughs>